0: Dear Geeks Crossing listeners, please listen to the podcast. I've cooked up an episode for you. Yours truly, Matt. How's it going, everyone? My name is Matt, and if you didn't catch that little nod to Princess Peach's invitation, or you didn't read the title to the episode you clicked on, today I'm talking about Super Mario 64. For a very special reason, of course, this very month marks 25 years since Super Mario 64 was first released in Japan, paving the way for 3D platformers and 3D video games as we know them today. It wasn't the first 3D video game, but it has truly left its mark on the genre. This was originally going to be a renaissance match, a look back on the history and development of the game, but I decided to go more in the vein of the episode I did about Pokemon Sword and Shield on the birthday of those games. I also definitely found inspiration in Eric's recent Super Mario Sunshine retrospective. Shout out to my boy Eric. I feel like I can bring a unique perspective to the table on Super Mario 64 because I never actually played it until this year. I was a late 90s kid, but not only did I miss the Super Mario 64 release date by a few years, I was also a Playstation child growing up. I think I mentioned I mostly played shovelware games during my formative years. My first Nintendo consoles were a DS and a Wii, so not only did I miss the Nintendo 64, but also the GameCube entirely. I've actually still only played GameCube once to this very day, and I honestly don't like using the controller. I'm sure that's akin to heresy for a lot of you gamers out there, but I digress. Point is, by the time I was playing Nintendo consoles, Super Mario 64 was already 10 years old. I played Super Mario 64 DS, which I enjoyed as a kid, but to be fair, that's a different beast. No, the very first time I played Super Mario 64 was when I decided, on a whim, to get Super Mario 3D All-Stars around the beginning of this year. It was awesome replaying through Super Mario Galaxy, one of my favorite games of all time, but I also finally wanted to scratch the itch by playing one of the most legendary Mario games ever developed. So today I'm taking a look back at Super Mario 64. Is it truly a game that stands the test of time 25 years later, or was it a product of its own time period and one of those games only hardcore gamers can really look back upon. As I did for my Pokemon Sword and Shield retrospective, I'll go through the pros and cons I found when playing through Super Mario 64 for the first time. And I know, again, Nintendo fans are probably freaking out that I just compared Pokemon Sword and Shield to Super Mario 64, daring to even imply that those two titles have the same amount of flaws. But let's dive into it with some pros, shall we? At the time that Super Mario 64 was released, its graphics were revolutionary. The idea that designers could cram this many sides onto polygon shapes like Goombas and Koopas along with the various power-ups and world environments was crazy. And 25 years later, I'm happy to admit, Super Mario 64 absolutely keeps that charm. Yeah, the graphics are definitely a product of the late 90s, but they're not bad. It's like looking at a period piece. Very few people look at cave drawings and think they're the pinnacle of human art, that we've never done anything better since. That doesn't make cave drawings any less special. Okay, uh, (laughs) that came out wrong. I did not mean to imply that this game's visuals look like cave drawings. It's clear a lot of love went into the textures for these various worlds and enemies. The rough polygonal edges, the fact that there's very few actual spheres and more multi-sided shapes, like Mario's head or the little Goombas, it all makes this game very visually unique in 2021. Oh, and speaking of worlds, Super Mario 64 was a trendsetter. Before it came around, the overwhelming majority of games had you go from point A to point B, and that was that, no need to ever look back. But the developers of Super Mario 64 decided it would be more fun to have you revisit old worlds, and visit new worlds in a more flexible order. This made Super Mario 64 one of the first truly non-linear games. Sure, there was an end point and various Bowser battles you had to do, but other than that, the world of Super Mario 64 was pretty much your oyster. If you get a single star in the first world, Bob-omb Battlefield, you could either go for the other six stars there, or you could try your hand at nabbing some stars in a brand new world, Womp's Fortress, and if neither of those options satisfy you, you could go poking around and discover a room with a hidden slide where you could grab a star and then try to get a secret one by beating a slide in the certain time limit compare this to earlier Mario games. Once you beat World 1-1, you go to World 1-2. Once you beat World 1-2, you go to World 1-3. This continues until you beat it. (laughs) Super Mario 64's new way of doing things was so revolutionary it inspired a whole bunch of other games that are still heavily enjoyed to this day. Everything from Banjo-Kazooie to Battle for Bikini Bottom. As for the worlds themselves, Super Mario 64 deserves even more credit. Though not every world gets its own soundtrack, and in fact most worlds share the same music with each other, every individual world does feel different. Some of my personal favorites are the ever-iconic Bob-Omb Battlefield and Womp's Fortress, of course, which sees Mario traverse tricky environments to reach the top of the stage and fight a boss battle, King Bob-Omb and King Womp, respectively. Shifting Sandland and Lethal Lava Land are both very different ways of designing a hot level, in this case a desert and a literal pool of lava, respectively. I'm also a big fan of the designs of Snowman's Land, which sees Mario traverse a snowy environment without the danger of plummeting to his doom like in Cool Cool Mountain. Tiny huge mountain, where Mario can and often must switch between a small and enormous version of the same stage. Tall Tall Mountain, which, as the name entails, puts Mario to the task of climbing a more realistically giant mountain as opposed to the hill he has to mount in bob on Battlefield, and TikTok Clock, which puts Mario inside some literal clockworks for some tricky but very creative platforming. Every world is unique in its own right, of course, and if I didn't mention your favorite, it doesn't mean I don't like it in some way. Every course has something to offer, whether it be playstyle or design. In fact, I can say without a doubt, I really enjoy the designs of nearly every stage in the game. I even think the infamous Rainbow Ride stage is pretty cool to look at, with its bright beaming sun, flying airships, and mysterious magic carpets. Dire Dire Docks may literally just drop you nonchalantly in a boring pool of water, but I like the idea that you swim into a secret base filled with metal beams and a sinister submarine. And though Hazy Maze Cave may be tricky and annoying to traverse, a spelunking Mario is still a very interesting concept, and the dark grays and browns of the cave environment truly make the experience. The only stage I truly have an issue with design-wise is Over the Rainbow, and it's more of a secret stage than anything, granting only a single star. It's poorly designed, only consisting of a few clouds and rainbows, and super obnoxious to play for reasons I'll get to. But again, it's a very minuscule part of the Super Mario 64 experience. Though the Bowser levels are more linear, even they're fun in their own way, since they provide such a different experience than the rest of the game. The last pro I really have to get to is this game's soundtrack. Sure, the music of Super Mario 64 pales in comparison to that of Super Mario Galaxy, and to be honest, it really isn't even close, but Super Mario 64 came first and deserves to be judged in its own right. And for what it's worth, there are some iconic tracks in this game. Some great ones are the main theme, used in Bob-omb Battlefield, Womp's Fortress, Tall Tall Mountain, and Tiny Huge Island, the merry winter music of Cool Cool Mountain and Snowman's Land, creepy tracks like those that play in Hazy May's Cave and Big Boo's Haunt, and of course, tracks that are now iconic, such as the theme to Peach's Castle and the infamous slide music, both of which have continued to appear as Mario staples in the years since. But some of my favorites have to be the perfectly bittersweet staff rolls credit music, during which you see a montage of all the worlds you've traversed and all the challenges you've overcome, the sinister rendition of Koopa's Road that plays when you make your way to Bowser and his courses, and, of course, the unforgettable, and honestly pretty beautiful, Dire Dire docks Melody which makes its earliest appearance in Jolly Roger Bay, but Dire Dire Dox gets all the credit for some reason. That's a lot of stuff that I, coming to the game for the very first time, truly enjoyed. Before we get to my cons, I want to talk about some stuff I'm mixed on. First, the story. It is incredibly bare-bones, this has only become more true with age. As other games have started to develop complex and interesting stories, Save Peach from Bowser may seem like it just doesn't cut it anymore. Even Mario games themselves have seen it necessary to mix up the formula a bit. Super Mario Galaxy gave Mario deep and interesting allies on his journey, while Super Mario Odyssey played around with the physical world of the Mario universe, and even played around a bit with Bowser himself towards the end. You don't get any of this at Super Mario 64. It's about as plain Jane as they come. That said, though, I really don't mind it, to be honest. In a world where, as I said, games are developing more and more serious, heavy-hitting, and intertwining stories... In a world where everybody wants to be the last of us, it's nice to have a Super Mario 64 to go back to. Some days I'm more in the mood for, Dear Mario, come to my castle, I've baked a cake for you, rather than fiddling my way through six YouTube videos to try and wrap my head around the Kingdom Hearts story again. Another mixed bag for me though via V Super Mario 64 is the gameplay. On its face, I'm a fan. I love adventuring to different worlds, leaping across gaps, scaling great heights, defeating evil bosses, Clutching that shining Power Star and flashing a V for Victory sign at the camera always feels satisfying. I love the variety of power-ups, from the Metal Mario sinking to the bottom of the sea, to Wing Mario taking off into the clear blue sky. But the gameplay is slightly hindered for me due to a reason I'll get to on my list of cons. Truth is, I've kind of been stringing you guys along. There's actually only one single con on this list. But it arguably affects the whole game. The controls... Lord Almighty, I don't even know where to begin. I don't know if it's like this because I'm playing it on the Switch, or if it always played like this, or if all Nintendo 64 games play like this, and I just don't know because I've never played one before, but good God, it's horrible. It's just horrible. Every time I'm sliding down in the race against the penguin in Cool Cool Mountain, or I'm hopping from pole to pole in the volcano inside Lethal Lava Land, or I'm tantalizingly close to the top of Tick Tock Clock, it feels like the game is fighting me the entire way. And not by throwing enemies at me, the way a game should fight the player, but with the camera. Maybe there's a reason Lakitu is the camera guy. Isn't it suspicious that in a span of a single game, he's gone from trying to kill Mario to being his camera guy? Maybe he still is trying to kill Mario, but he's playing the long game, and by God it's working, because sometimes I feel like you are fighting against the camera, no matter where you are in the game. This is where Super Mario 64 really shows its age. It was one of the first games to implement a toggleable 3D camera. Revolutionary, of course, but just about any game to come out since has done it better. Mario himself controls like he's on ice, which is even worse when he actually is on ice. Every slight flick of the controller sends the plumber soaring. I'm still fighting my way through the star and shifting sandland, where you have to stand on each of the four red pillars and enter the top of the pyramid. I genuinely can't make it. Mario always ends up suffering a horrible death in quicksand, usually before I've even stood atop all the pillars. And the biggest reveal yet? I haven't beaten Mario 64 yet. I'm on the last stage, the final linear Bowser stage where I must work my way to King Koopa himself and I am utterly stuck. Every time I take a step forward I take two steps back. Platforming and dog awful controls just don't mix. I think there's a reason why Rainbow Ride is the most detested stage in the game, as it combines these horrible controls and Mario's dancing ice walking moves with the fact that there's no ground and a single step out of place means you have to do the whole magic carpet ride again. A whole new world of pain, maybe. Even thinking about some of my battle scars has got me shuddering. It took me nearly 10 minutes to even reach the wall kick stage in Cool Cool Mountain, and another 10 minutes to wall kick my way up. It isn't nearly as easy as the game lets on. The Hazy Maze part of Hazy Maze Cave ended with at least. 15 dead Mario's, because I couldn't turn the camera to look down hallways and see where I'd already been, and because sometimes Mario just wouldn't want to get out of the poison gas. Maybe I have to get good, as the gamers say, and I will grant that I have no experience with this game or the console on which it originated, so it definitely could be growing pains as I adjust to the controls for the first time. I get it, but holy cow, if you're a gamer just starting out, Or if you're a Mario fan who's looking to get back to your favorite plumber's roots, you better be ready to play a game where Mario thinks he's the star of the Ice Capades and Lakitu can't be bothered to look away from whatever camera angle he deems his favorite. It's the controls that hurt the gameplay and some of the worlds themselves for me. I'd enjoy playing the game a lot more if it didn't take 15 tries to do one part of an obstacle course, not out of lack of trying, but rather because Mario decides when to stop and keep going on his own. Shifting Sandland, an admittedly cool world, is an absolute chore to navigate without dying in quicksand due to this function. Other really cool worlds, like Tick Tock Clock and Tiny Huge Islands, have massive pits that it's quite easy to fall into, and when Mario staggers like he's drunk constantly, it's far too easy to do so. This especially sucks when you've got to traverse an environment for 8 red coins, and if Mario trips, you've got to start over from the beginning. Looking back, after 25 years, and as someone with no nostalgia for this game outside of the DS version, it's clear to me that Super Mario 64 is a good game. Maybe even a great game. Its list of pros outweighs its list of cons wholeheartedly. The polygonal graphics are super charming. The non-linear game design and playstyle is really cool and unique. The game's got a decent soundtrack with some real standouts. The worlds themselves work as standalone places that each feel self-contained and special. Even the story, simple as it may be, is a nice breather in a world where many developers are obsessed with grandiose stories and hidden lore. Although, as we all know, every copy of Super Mario 64 is personalized. That said, a game with all of these great features doesn't mean as much if it's a chore to even get through it. I don't doubt that I'm ignorant when it comes to how this game is supposed to work, and I don't think I could even identify a Nintendo 64 controller if I had to. When I played through this game, I mostly enjoyed my experience. I truly did. But unlike Super Mario Galaxy, I didn't get lost in the soundtrack and the scenery, and platforming felt like more of a burden than it does in later games. Still, I would definitely recommend this game to Mario fans. It is a crucial piece of Mario history, after all, and by and large, it's still a very fun game. Gamers looking to challenge themselves should also look to Super Mario 64. Seriously, my hat goes off to those experts who speedrun this game. As someone who feels personally accomplished climbing up Tall Tall Mountain in one piece, I can't wrap my head around someone beating the whole game in 15 minutes. The current record for beating this game with all 120 stars was done in roughly an hour and 40 minutes, which is coincidentally about how long it took me to climb to the top of the snowman in Snowman's Land. Jokes aside, I've played this game for hours and I'm not even at 100 stars let alone 120. There are some truly talented gamers out there. As we celebrate 25 years of Super Mario 64, it's worth keeping in mind that no game is for everyone. There's all different kinds of gamers, and Super Mario 64 has really resonated with a huge group of Nintendo fans, and Mario fans in general. Super Mario 64 has stood the test of time for 25 years, so it's within reason to suggest it could easily remain popular for the future. Here's to another 25 years of Super Mario 64. You just listened to a Geeks Crossing podcast. Have you ever played Super Mario 64? What did you think? And if you haven't, do you want to? Let me know in our Discord or on our Instagram. Links are in the descriptions of this episode, as always. Continue to support us wherever you're listening to us right now, whether it be on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcast, or on iHeartRadio. This has been Matt, and thank you so much for listening to this episode!